at the cafeteria at the state capitol, they serve nipple soup. And I thought, and I bet some of those people like it. <laughs> Welcome back to Local Fairy Tales. I'm your narrator, Nora Vetter, introducing you to Local Fair, F-A-R-E, that's only found in certain regions, states, cities, and so on. Listen in as the voices of those that know it well, historians, creators, servers, festival organizers, superfans, and other local fair experts tell the tales of local fair as only they can. Today's featured fair is Nefla Soup. You just heard Michael Miller, director of the Germans from Russia Heritage Collection at North Dakota State University, speak about how Nefla Soup is served at the North Dakota State Capitol Cafeteria in Bismarck. Now, let's meet the rest of our Nefla Soup tale tellers. I am Kaya Gumringer, owner of Mary Ellen's Bistro here in Minneapolis, and I grew up in North Dakota. Mark Heidrich, partner in the Grill and Lounge in Linton, North Dakota. Michael Miller, director of the Germans from Russia Heritage Collection at North Dakota State University in Fargo, North Dakota. Ben Meyer, writer and cook at ramshacklepantry.com. We write about comfort food, cocktails, and the history behind them. Carmen Rathwald, president of the Tri-County Tourism Alliance at Emmons, Logan, and McIntosh counties. The focus of the group is to promote and preserve the heritage and culture of the Germans from Russia in our area. I'm Jonathan Reich, an artist with many hats. I'm originally from Medina, North Dakota, and you're listening listening to the local, the local fairy tale, local fairy tale of Nefla Soup. Fairy tale of Nefla Soup. Tale of Nefla Soup. I'm Carmen Rathwald, president of the Tri-County Tourism Alliance, and you're listening to the local fairy tale of Nefla Soup. Pretty much you hear Nefla Soup spoken in the same way. However, the spelling is often different. Yeah, I've seen it spelled different ways, and I wonder if that's for pronunciation for some folks, because I've also heard people say it differently. Too. I've heard Nafla, Nifla. In North Dakota, via countless church cookbooks, uh, grandma cookbooks, various restaurants, you're going to find it as K-N-O-E-P-H-L-A or K-N-E-P-H-L-A or K-N-E-F-L-A. I think the spelling normally is in high German would be K-N-O-E-H-P-L-A, Nipla. K-N-E-P-H-L-A is what I'm familiar with, but there are spellings with O's in it, and there are spelling, a, a number of different spellings for Nefla. So it changes, but if you're in North Dakota, where this recipe is probably the most common in North America, you'll know what it is, if that makes sense. <laughs> I've always sort of assumed that it is just the name for the dumplings in the soup. Nefla means button in German, and the soup is comprised of those 
small buttons. The nephla is the, the dough and that might be in a soup or it might be fried and dipped in other things. Nephla is essentially a dumpling. Um, so a flour-based dumpling, which lends itself really well in a soup. So typically, if you hear somebody say, oh, I'm making nifla, most times it is a soup. Until I started looking into it, I didn't even really know that it belonged anywhere other than soup. Like I just always, I grew up with nifla soup. They'd have it at some restaurants. I'd order it because I loved it. My grandma made it. I didn't know the dumpling anywhere else other than the soup. Some people will put it with sausage and sauerkraut or mix it in with different things. So then from Nefla, you can have a variety of foods. There's, um, you know, Nefla and sauerkraut and Nefla and spare ribs and fried Nefla. When we do Nefla, um, we say just Nefla, it's Nefla on the grill. So we grill your Nefla up with a little bit of hash browns in there. So there's a little bit of potatoes. And then we put sauerkraut on the side and we offer either fish, a cod or sausage to go with it. So that would be nifla off of the grill and then your soup is going to be done in the kettle. But typically it's in a soup. So nifla, these little buttons are buttons of dough and it's just egg and flour. In most recipes around here, you're going to find it as a, like a rolled uh, flour egg kind of traditional dumpling. So in my recipe, it's, and, and this isn't all that uncommon that you're going to find in many of the local cookbooks, it'll be like flour and egg and salt and maybe milk. You start with a chicken broth, you make nephlas, you make the dough out of, you know, again, the flour, salt, and egg, and you mix that well, and you let it rest, and you mix it well. And then you roll it out, or simply make a large ball of dough and cut pieces off of it into the boiling broth. When I was little, the idea of making the nifla varied depending upon what you had available to you and how much time you wanted to spend. So there were quite a few times that we, when I say we, me and my grandma, she would just put a splash of you know, some vegetable oil and flour, salt and pepper, and a little water, and just like hand pull random pieces of dough and throw it in, you know, some broth. So <laughs> that being the most bare bones where you're covered, your entire hand turns into a ball of dough. But we, you know, mix our dough and everything and we season our dough there's a little garlic, there's a little onion, there's uh, salt and pepper. We use egg and milk and we actually roll it out and cut it into little pieces and put each piece in one at a time so they don't stick together and they're nice and uniform. Well, I've, I've helped make it before and it is a, it's a lot of work. It, it takes a, a lot of time and a lot of effort. You know, I've, I've told the girls, well, why don't we just get a cutter that can cut these instead of using the scissors to snip them. And well, grandma didn't make it that way. She used the scissors. So we're using scissors. And after helping them, when we closed down for three months for the pandemic and had drive through only and being in the back and helping snip all that up, I will never, ever question them again. They can do whatever they want and take as long as they want. It is a lot of work. So it's a little bit more fancy with the NIFLA than what I grew up doing. Um, even my mom's NIFLA, it was... I liked it because it was super, super chewy, and but it was 
each one had you'd get one that looked like something from the moon um and then the you know then you'd find like a tiny piece and it was always like fighting over the huge pieces of nifla as you were scooping it <laughs> as a kid now you don't even have to make your own nifla you can go to the grocery store and you can buy the nifla already made cut and just drop them into your soup and there you go not everybody that has nifla still hand makes it. There are some companies that are offering pre-made stuff out of a bag. And yes, it's a way easier, but it doesn't taste near as good. I just made some the other day. And what I did was I took my pan and I put some butter in there and I put in chopped onion and chopped carrots and sauteed that till the onions were translucent. And then I added chicken stock. So when we make the, the soup, we saute diced onions, celery, carrots, and butter and chicken base. And the soup is also based off of how people really like to do it, but typically it's in a creamy chicken broth soup. When I was growing up, my mother actually made Nefla soup differently than it's made now. She took sausage, usually bologna or sometimes fry sausage, and would boil it and made a broth with some seasonings and then would drop the nephla into that broth, not add cream or milk. So it was not a creamy broth, but that is less popular. And then we put it into a large kettle, add diced potatoes and water, boil it on low for about 25 minutes, add a can of cream of chicken soup, one gallon of milk, two quarts of cream, some paisley flakes, and basil. And sometimes people put chicken and... So you can vary it as what's in there. Some people put ham in there too, but usually it's there's no meat in it, but it can be. Farmers in North Dakota, it's really part of their culture. And they typically kind of use the things that they have on hand. So that's why it's typically vegetables in a broth. But I don't think there's a wrong way to do it. There's just a very traditional way to do it. And then you put the nifle in and you... Make your soup. And people will point out, well, that's not how my grandma made it, but people can make it their own. We've definitely made it our own at the restaurant. It's a very different recipe from what I grew up having, but people still really like it. So it's sort of like a very hearty hybrid of a chicken soup and like a potato soup. I never eat anything other than the bowl of soup because it's so hearty. I think that people are shocked of how filling it is. So when you order even just a cup of soup, you're going to get filled up because it's, you know, it's a lot of dough and it's a lot of vegetables and creamy broth. So it's hearty, and but it's hearty for a reason. It's why it comes from farmer culture. You know, Nefla soup is an everyday meal. It's not a fancy, it's not something, you know, you would expect to have at a party. It's an everyday, it's a staple, it's a good solid meal. But I remember it growing up where we would have it more for lunchtime. I think I remember um, sometimes we even had Nefla soup for hot lunch at school. Nefla soup has all the good bits. I feel happy that I have never had anyone say that's either too much or too little Nefla in my bowl. And I tell my cooking crew and my service staff like, make sure there's enough nifla in there because of that history of me fighting over the nifla in the soup pot to make sure that I get enough in my bowl. Um, 
So I, I've never heard that one. I've never had a request for more or less, but I think that's just because we do a good job at making sure that there's a good proportion. I have some customers that tell me, hey, make sure you put plenty of nipple in my soup. And I have other ones that don't want quite as much. They, they really enjoy the, the broth that it is in. It's one of those wonderful comfort foods because it's like so much carbs and fat. Like it's delicious. I, I love nepha soup the first day, but I prefer putting it into the fridge and having leftovers because all that flour gets a chance to make everything thicken up and all the butter and cream and it becomes more like a heartier stew almost. It's loved by, you know, young and old. It's wonderful. I love it. <laughs> I'm Michael Miller, director of the Germans from Russia Heritage Collection at North Dakota State University, and you're listening to the local fairy tale of Niflisu. So in North Dakota, close to 30 to 40 percent of the ethnic group is of German-Russian heritage, which is quite significant. There's an area in southern Germany called Swabia, and that's kind of where this dumpling region came from. And there were a lot of farmers there. Um, Catherine the Great in Russia was offering incentives for people to go there and start farming. So it was very attractive because Catherine the Great offered them free land. They offered um, freedom from their children being conscribed into the military. They offered these incentives. So a group of Germans moved to Russia from Germany, a large group. Germans from Russia were invited to come to South Russia which is today southern Ukraine and in Moldova. And they were given many promises of their own land. They did not have to serve in the military and all those things. So there are many different promises that were made. So they have already had a good life, maybe 75 years. After a few generations, the Russians started to go back on that. And they were uh, conscribing their kids, sending them off to the military, or they wanted to. The Russian government started to require that their sons, these German immigrants, had to serve in the Russian army. And they were promised they didn't have to serve in the army. The schools were starting where they had to speak and learn the Russian in the school. And so a lot of privileges were taken away. Then the wave began of coming. That's when a lot of the same group moved to North Dakota. The first Germans from Russia to come to Dakota territory was about 1873. And that was in Southern South Dakota. But remember that was then Dakota territory. The first to come to North Dakota, which was Dakota Territory, was in 1884, and they came to South Central North Dakota near Zealand, and that was a Catholic group. Then the wave started of coming in the 1880s. For example, in my case, my grandparents on my mother's side, the Bungartners, they came in 1889 to uh, Eureka, South Dakota. Then they came up to Strasburg, North Dakota. Then in 1889, on November 1st, was the statehood of the state of, of North Dakota. It became a state. So they came the same year. I'm not sure the exact number, but I think by 1920, in North Dakota, there were about 120,000 of these German Russians who settled. So it was a large population. The reason they came here was there was the railroad you know, was sending out um, kind of invitations and encouragement to folks to move to North Dakota to populate it. And also there was the Homestead Act. There was a lot of advertising in the Odessa newspapers over in Russia about the homesteading and the railroad. The railroad companies in the Dakotas and the Midwest 
did a lot of advertising in those papers in the German language of come to Dakota territory or come to North Dakota or South Dakota. And when they start hearing about this land, this free land of 160 acres with the Homestead Act, that had a lot to do with it. And I think it was an environment that they were used to, cold farming land. It seems correct. The immigrants that came to North Dakota back in say between 1880 and forward, mostly up till 1910, some a little bit later, those immigrants came with virtually nothing. A lot of them had spent their money for passage on the ships and had to have passage from uh, New York, from Ellis Island to North Dakota. So the folks that arrived um, came by train. A lot of them came up through Ipswich, South Dakota. And when they came, they had you know no animals with them, typically. If they had a little bit of money, sometimes they would buy like an ox to travel up into Dakota Territory. They often existed for at least the first few years on flour, sugar, salt, and so on. For us, that yeast and flour-sugar combination kind of translated into evigasats, which is everlasting yeast. And everlasting yeast sort of suggests that you know, bread and dough products are the everlasting legacy of the Germans from Russia people. And another product that can be made from dough is the nefla. Yeah, it's uh, the Germans from Russia. And so many of those folks landed in North Dakota. It, that's what you also see it show up in South Dakota, but it really comes from that culture. This is how I feel what happened. Uh, nefla dumplings were not uncommon in the area of Swabia, where, where this kind of meal is made. Um, in North Dakota, we kind of had all of the elements that would make this soup. So wheat started to be grown around that time in North Dakota, and it's very fertile land. You know, we have milk from the cows, butter, kind of these calorie intensive things, along with a high German heritage in the area, it kind of just made sense to make soup. So that's, to me, how I imagine it came about, partly by necessity, like many of the foods in the American, you know, America's great for that. We take foods from all over the world, kind of bring them in, make them our own, and then their own thing, whether it's taco or pizza or hamburgers or Nefla soup. So Nefla soup, as far as I can tell, is sort of like a Germans from Russia kind of thing. So that's like 97% of Stutzman County that I come from. So it's something that like, you know, the, the church ladies would make for a special occasion or something like that. Even fundraisers will have Nefla soup as their signature dish for the fundraiser. And in, I guess in like the social calendar of Medina, there's like fall festival where there's a parade and bazaars where churches sell things to raise money for different causes. Um, and there are sort of like community dinners around like Memorial Day. The Legion and the Lions Club is pretty strong in Medina. So there's always a fairly robust Memorial Day program. 
So it's events kind of like that, that are tied to the community in some way that Nephilim is likely to pop up at, or for any church fundraiser, that's, it's also a good spot for it to come. I'm at North Dakota State University where we have the Germans from Russia Heritage Collection at the library, and we have a large collection of cataloged cookbooks. We probably have the largest catalog collection of cookbooks in the world on the subject of Germans from Russia. And a lot of these cookbooks are from North Dakota and South Dakota. You know, they they were cookbooks as fundraisers for churches or for towns if they have their centennials. When I go to the thrift shop, I look for church cookbooks because there's a lot of the same recipes, but you'll occasionally find something interesting or something in Church cookbooks in this area, you're always going to find at least one Netflix, at least. The challenges with some of those cookbooks, as Carmen could tell you, they're not that complete. I mean, it's like, you know, they were a lot of these recipes were made for large families because the German Russians had such large families. It was a good meal. Uh, the Nefla soup was a good way to feed a lot of people for not much money. That and the other problem is that they're not exact. You know, they... Some of them we have, even the old ones, that say, put a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Well, that doesn't help someone doing a recipe. They need to know how much to put in of each one. So that's very interesting. The Tri-County Tourism Alliance produced a book. Our first book was called Evagasats, which is Everlasting Yeast. And that, that book was written and edited by Sue Caseman Balcom. And there's a whole section on dough foods. There's uh, Russian bread and kardoffel vertical and, and bread dough and buns and donuts and all kinds of things. But there are some uh, wonderful recipes in here for Nefla soup as well. And um, it, it, it talks about how um, you could feed your whole family quite well with flour, water, salt, and a little leavening. Uh, add a little bit of lard or some sauerkraut topped with choke cherry jelly, and you have a meal fit for a king, or at least a good German. And that's one of the reasons why we started the Tri-County Tourism Alliance, because we want to promote the ethnic heritage, and one of the most popular is the food, you know, and that's so much of your, your own podcast is focused on food. I'm Kaya Gumringer, owner of Mary Ellen's Bistro here in Minneapolis, and you're listening to the local fairy tale of Nifla Soup. So my grandmother, Mary Ellen, she was the cook of the family. She was the matriarch of the family. She taught me how to cook. She taught me everything as a very small child. And basically, from a very, very small kid, we basically spent our days in the kitchen. And if you've ever been at a farm before with people working in the fields, every meal is so important. And she really took that seriously. So really big meals, really hearty meals, a lot of driving things out to the field, to my, you know, family members in the fields. So um, I, I have a lot of memories standing on chairs and making nifla soup with my grandmother. Probably my fondest memory was hanging out in my grandma's kitchen in Enderlin, North Dakota, Doris, and making dumpling soup with her. I, I have vivid memories of, of doing that. And I 
that was really the first time I really remember making it. My grandma used to make it. My mom used to make it. I remember my mother, you know, we would talk and, and she would cook and, and make the food. And my grandmother, um, one of my grandmothers lived with us for a time when I was very young. And I remember her cooking and, and talking with her. And she would call me, I was her Mitzi. And that was my nickname. And she would call me Mitzi and she would be making, you know, Nefla soup or bread or chocolate chip cookies or whatever. And, and it was just a nice time to visit and connect. When I was younger, I feel like there was an impression that it's like one of those things that like your German grandmothers make, but the next generation doesn't necessarily. So I, I would almost put money on the fact that there's a sort of like comfort nostalgia for people in my generation and possibly a little bit older and a little bit younger for that soup because it probably reminds us of our grandparents. People would like to remember, they don't want to forget what their grandma uh, made and they don't want to forget about their grandma in her kitchen and and how the the smells uh, remind them of her and the and the closeness, you know, for Germans from Russia, food is love. But it was really, uh, really special thing to make and eat. <laughs> that's why it's in our restaurant. And that's why the restaurant is also named after her. Because there's so much love um, around sharing food with people. And she taught me that. I'll get comments from um, people making, trying to make a meal for their grandma that they no longer have. And they thank me for putting this up there and it made their grandma feel good or even the person themselves. They're trying to reconnect with food that they had as a child and remember and reconnect with. I love that. I think those, those are some of my favorite comments that are, are the ones where people are reconnected to this kind of childhood feeling where they felt good about the food that they were eating. And so, it, you know, they have not always been the most um, affectionate of people. It's not to say they're not loving, but they have not been so affectionate. And food is one way that um, Germans from Russia excel at showing the people in their families and beyond their visitors how much they care about them and how much they love them. So if you feed your family well, it, it shows that you love them very much. I think that there's been a lot of a lot of movement the past 15 years to reconnect with farming maybe a little bit and with our heritage a little bit and these kind of unique things about our past and history. And I think a lot of people want to want to feel that again. They want to feel that sense of that closeness to you know kind of field to table. You know, they don't want everything so pre-packaged and um, processed, they, they want to kind of get back to the basics. Some of the primary foods have now been passed on in some of these restaurants. And they're very popular because so many people don't, they don't cook at home or they don't make these, but at least there's an outlet where they can go and taste their traditional foods. Yeah, it's pretty much readily available. Certainly in the three county area, Emmons, Logan, and Mackinac, it's very well known and usually an item on the menu. Maybe not every day, but there's a day of the week when they have it. Tuesday and Friday are our busiest days. We do chicken and dumplings on Tuesday. 
and then Nifla on Friday. So those are my two German-Russian days, and those are my generally my two busiest days during the week. Mary Owen and her assistant manager, June, our partner, and Jade, her daughter, make three batches of Nifla dough a week. Actually, Mary was telling me that she got the, the recipe for the dough back in the 70s from a, a elderly lady that worked here. So, gosh, who knows how long that recipe's been around. So we start on Monday and Tuesday making the dough and cutting it up and preparing it for Friday. So three days out of the week, we're, we are doing something with Nifla, trying to get ready for Friday. And on Fridays, they make the Nifla soup. So, so people know that on their Facebook when, when to come in. And so they get an audience. They come from all over because of these these two items. This restaurant or the location has been known for it for so long that um, we get people that come down from Bismarck, from Mandan. They drive 70 miles one way just to have lunch and go back home. So, you know, it's uh, just been a staple here at this restaurant and this building for so long. You know, like the uh, sales barn in Wishick, their kitchen is open on Mondays when they have sale day. And, you know, I'm surprised if they don't have Nefla soup there that day. My earliest memories of Nefla soup are when my dad, who is a dairy farmer, needed to sell livestock. He would load up a horse trailer of cows and drive it to Napoleon, North Dakota. And there was a stockyard there. And attached to the stockyard was also this like small cafe eatery kind of place. It, I recall it being sort of like Wild West in some ways and just how rustic it was. But it's like, you know that if you go to Napoleon to the stockyard with a dad, there will also be like Nefla soup there. And that's where I was introduced to Nefla soup. And even here at North Dakota State University at the dining center, they have special days where they serve Nefla soup. So I thought that's kind of neat for the students too, that they are introduced to it. So, yeah, it's very common. And when you talk with, with people from around the state and, you know, um, Nefla soup is, is well known, even to the Norwegians. <laughs> but so interesting is that if you go to Eastern North Dakota and Fargo, there's a large Scandinavian and Norwegian settlement. But they, they've adapted. So they even go to Kronsteiner and they like the Nifla soup. So even the other ethnic groups have started to, it becomes kind of a taste bud of liking this soup that's been very popular, even for other ethnic groups. So we've adopted them in our German-Russian community. Um, I think it was sophomore year of college, probably fall of 2011. And I remember very specifically because I was in the dorm room of my friends Katie and Michelle. And Katie is from Mandan, North Dakota. So like just across the Missouri from Bismarck. Um, and like she knows Nefla, she's German. There's a gas station out there that apparently has brilliant Nefla. She swears by it. And so we're talking about like Nefla and Michelle was born in Grand Forks, North Dakota, but her family was military. So she lived mostly in Hawaii and Texas and then like moved back like just a year prior to this incident. And she's like, what are you talking about? What What is Nefla? What is, what is this soup? And we're like, how can you not have heard of this thing? And so Katie and I were just like aghast that someone could have gone their entire life without knowing this and have a North Dakota origin. And like, we were, we were so flustered by it. Someone was like walking by the open door and we're like, you, you, you know Nefla soup, right? And he's like, I, I'm from Minnesota. I don't know what you're talking about. 
and our, our world was blown. And so it it be, quickly became a quest to get Michelle Nefla soup. Uh, so for my birthday, my sister-in-law made Nefla soup because I love it. And I like spirited back a Tupperware of it for Michelle. And she's like, oh, like tries it. Th this is delicious. And so it became something that Michelle started seeking out uh, around Fargo. And now she is like newly married and has like brought Nefla soup to her Irish uh, wife. And it's it's a whole new thing. And it makes my heart real happy. <laughs> I think that people are apprehensive at first. But once you kind of start telling people about it, it is a very approachable soup. And then they get, you know, pleasantly surprised by it. And um, we have a lot of fans that have never had it before. So we've converted them to Nifla fans. <laughs> but what's so surprising with all this is that the younger generation is very interested in learning how to make them. And that's where these cookbooks are so important. Uh, my older sister and my sister-in-law have like gotten in on making it because like Nifla soup is great and you don't want that to like leave the family at any point. With our Germans from Russia Heritage Collection, we have a large website where people can order these cookbooks. And we have over 50 different cookbooks that people can order. And they're very popular. I mean, it's just amazing because they have the old recipes in there. And people like that. And I have been shocked at how many people find us because they see it on the menus. And they stumble upon the restaurant and they come in and they have their own stories with their families. And I really love just meeting people that I, I have never met before who happen to know my family members in North Dakota or um, they end up traveling through and it, it just bonding over it. You wouldn't believe how many people actually do know what Nifla soup is and seek it out. For the Germans from Russia, I see um, they're very interested in their family history, genealogy, and the food. And I see the, the cooking and the food. I think that's going to continue and that's going to continue to grow. And that's why Prairie Public Broadcasting Fargo has produced two major television documentaries on the foods of the Germans from Russia in North Dakota, which I think is rather unique. Gudis Essen and our another book that we did, uh, Women Behind the Plow, were done with a documentary as well through Prairie Public. And so the books are available through Prairie Public, whichever affiliate stations throughout the nation that carried those documentaries. So, But the key element is that it's important to document their lives, you know, through family histories, through television documentaries. And also it's very important to document their, their food waste and their ethnic heritage as foods. And that's what's really popular. They love the foods. So it's so wonderful when you're talking about nipple soup. <laughs> and that is the local fairy tale of Nefla soup. More information about Nefla soup and the Nefla soup tale tellers can be found at local fairy, F A R E Y tales, T A L E S dot com. And be sure to follow Local Fairy Tales Podcast on Facebook and Instagram to share your tales about Nefla Soup or other local fare. And if you don't know much about your local fare, ask 
There are tale tellers everywhere. Bowls filled with gratitude to Kaya Gumringer, Mark Heydrich, Michael Miller, Ben Meyer, Carmen Rathwall, and Jonathan Reich for sharing their time and Nuffla Soup knowledge. Concept, production, and editing by me, Nora Vetter. Music by Anisha Thomas. And artwork by Jonathan Reich. More local fairy tales are coming soon, so be sure to subscribe on your favorite place to listen to podcasts. Thank you.